When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, Rich is next. Good morning, Rich. Hey, thank you, Bob. I would like to get your thoughts on a project I'm going to be doing here shortly. Okay. I've got probably 40 tomatoes in my greenhouse. I'm going to be transplanting them out. They're okay. about seven months old now, and they're eight and ten feet long. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm going to be getting as big as uh, root ball as I can and get them out there, and I guess they're going to get hurt a little bit. And I'm wondering if uh, taking a third of it off would help it or no. Or I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that, Rich. But here's what I would do: um, don't just plant the root ball. I mean, uh, plant the first two feet of the stem at a minimum. Dig a little deeper hole where your root ball is going to go. But then, in effect, dig a trench that you can lay that stem in. Even if you take off some leaves or uh, leave the side branches on, but bury them too, because tomatoes are one of the few plants out there where you can bury the stem the stem will form roots all the way up and down the stem and uh, there's nothing wrong with planting an overgrown tomato your your biggest deal i mean your your tomatoes for what i would call super over overgrown is uh it's going to be hard to transplant them without breaking and don't worry if they you do break a limb or two off of them but don't just plant the existing root ball put you know a foot or two or three feet of those stems coming up bury them an inch or two deep because they're going to form roots all the way up and down the stem and you're going to have an incredibly strong plant now i'm presuming these are indeterminate varieties if they're that big already oh yeah it's a beefsteak variety okay. and they yep. have been really pumping out the tomatoes here for the last month they just, sure yeah they they were kind of stifled all winter but uh i kept them kind of warm okay <clears throat> And you're moving them outside because why? Why are you digging them up and moving them outside? Oh, because because uh, you know when it gets too hot in here now, and you know it's going to be getting too warm, and I just want to see what happens if I can well, get a couple months of production. Yeah, there. well, by all means, plant some fresh ones as well. But uh, you you can move the big plants, but that bearing of the stems is really important because you're not going to be able to get a huge portion of the root system from those plants the other thing you can always do is if you want to take the tips off of some of those stems you can root them in perlite i'd root them first and then plant them but uh on an indeterminate tomato you can't do this on determinate it doesn't work but an indeterminate tomato you can take about a six inch cutting from the tip of the stems root that and it'll root probably in two weeks for you plant those out and that's just as good as buying a new seed grown transplant yeah, I've got a whole bunch of plants I started from the suckers. <laughs> Excellent. Sounds like you're going to be into tomatoes all spring long. I've gone tomato crazy. Uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. 
I want to ask you one thing. When I start tomatoes in the early fall or whatever, is there a way to, de- if I get them about a foot tall, to determine which ones are going to be the most productive? No. No, it all, you know, you can look at the vigor of the plants, but basically if you are planting, you know, a seed, um, the only exception would be if, if there are seeds where the pollination's really been mixed up, maybe that you collected yourself. But if when you're planting a bunch, let's say Beefmaster or something like that, you've got a packet of 30 seed Every one of those seeds come with the same genetic code, so they all have the same potential to produce well. Now, some of them may start off a little slower than others, but once you get them off to a good start, once you let them grow a good root system, uh, there's a you know one in a million possibility that you will get a naturally occurring mutation that might make one different from the other. But uh, when you're growing a bunch of them from seed, uh, uh, they all have the same potential. Some of them will start off a little smaller than others. Yeah, it's kind of like my cows. I may have one calf that uh, comes out weighing 10 pounds less than the other one, but three months down the road, you can't tell them apart. So uh, I, I would always select the ones that are most vigorous, but uh, that's that's just not a real critical part of the equation. Make sense? Well, well, well. What about, what about rock phosphate if I put under the root ball? Is that still going to benefit? Absolutely. Me? Absolutely. It'll keep the production going. Just remember, don't blend it with the soil. Put it in as a layer that the root that the plant directly grows its roots down into. Yeah. Uh, in the wintertime, there, there, there must be 50% as much sun. Uh, that's probably affecting the production over the winter too wouldn't it? well the temperature is going to have more effect than the sunlight the sunlight's going to give you a stringier growth on the plants but uh, temperature is going to be what affects your of uh, your fruit set more than the light factor yeah i was wondering if there's something i could use inside the greenhouse as a reflector to kind of more light in there you know not really to as a reflector but there are growers that put supplemental lighting in um just additional electric electric lighting with bulbs that produce the part of the spectrum which plants use which is the blue end of the spectrum used for their growth so i don't know that you can really enhance that much the sunlight that you have i guess you could put shiny foil on the walls or something like that but then you've cut off the amount of light that would come through the side so uh most growers that want to increase the growth in the winter months do it by adding more light uh rather than trying to find a way to reflect around what's in there yeah and i did double the plastic over the top and it seemed to help keep it warm oh absolutely absolutely double wall uh I just I look at it in terms of how much heat you have to put into the greenhouse to maintain a given temperature, and with a double wall system, uh, it takes half as much input to maintain the same warmth. So um, you spend a little money in the short run and saved a lot of money in the long run. I appreciate your advice, Bob. Thank Always you a much. pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Rich. And let me get Glenn in here before the break. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, I got a question, question about oranges. Okay. We had a orange tree yet uh, last year that just produced unbelievably. <laughs> All right, uh, Satsuma Miho. Yep, but real right good now, variety. It, look, it looks pretty bad. It's got uh, the leaves are very light green. Uh, some of the leaves have got some dark green spots on it. You got any idea what's going on? Probably the fact that it's March. 
Uh, all citrus gets a little puny looking over the winter months, and when we have a spring, late winter spring with as little sunshine as we've had this year, um, there's not much good-looking citrus around unless it's coming out of a greenhouse somewhere where it was in perfect condition. I want you to watch the newest growth as the as your mijo starts putting out more leaves. I want you to look at what the new foliage looks like. Uh, if it seems to be lighter green, you may need to increase your fertilizing. I would fertilize no matter what. I uh, might think about putting a little magic sand or some other iron source on there. But uh, citrus that's been in the ground over this winter, I mean, I've not seen a good-looking tree around. Most of them really look kind of stressed. But I anticipate that as long as they have adequate nutrition, I think you're going to get absolutely beautiful spring growth. And two months from now, you're going to be saying, gosh, what was I worried about? Okay. Well, we've got four avocado trees that we're getting ready to transplant from five-gallon buckets into Mm -hmm. the molasses buckets we got from y'all. Okay. Uh, do we have to worry about a root ball? You mean uh, about a root flare? Root flare, yes, root flare. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Any any time you're planting any woody shrub or any tree, uh, always be sure that that flare is exposed. That uh, you know where the major roots start coming out. Now, a lot of the trees come buried too deeply in the pots. If they've been that way for a while, they're going to have some little fibrous roots up in that upper inch or two of soil. Just cut those away if you need to. But always, any tree, any woody shrub, anything other than a palm tree, I'm going to be, or a say or a saccad, I'm going to be concerned about that root flare. And when I repot, I'm going to be pulling soil back to be sure I've got it uh, high enough. And I'd always rather plant it a little too high rather than a little too low. Oh, okay. And I just said stupidity. Uh, I know we're getting ready to go into the warm weather. What's the best uh, vegetable plants can we plant here in like the next couple of weeks? Not stupidity at all. You can plant cucumbers. You can plant squash. You can plant beans. Uh, you can plant black-eyed peas. Uh, you're way early for okra. But uh, those are all things you could do from seed. You can plant peppers. You can plant eggplants. You can plant tomatoes as transplants. Uh, this is a time of year you're going to run out of space in the garden. you got so many different things to plant. But uh, uh, especially the stuff from seed. Uh, you know, it's still possible we could get a late frost. But uh, vegetable seed especially is cheap. Uh, and, and, you know, for a $2 pack of seed, you can grow more squash than three families can eat. So I'd be having my squash, my cucumbers, my beans. Um, I'd have all that stuff in the ground uh, whenever you get a chance to do it. No problem. Last question. Our, we've had a very long-lived asparagus uh, area mm-hmm. that has numerous uh, pads in it, and it's just it's not producing well right now what uh what's going on there temperature soil's still wow. cold and uh we've had no sunlight to warm it up this has been the cloudiest uh spell that i remember in a lot of years uh, as long as you're keeping it watered and fertilized i would anticipate that in the not too distant future you're going to start seeing a lot more growth but i don't know anybody's getting decent production me included from their asparagus right now it's just been too cloudy and too cool Fantastic. I appreciate your time as always, sir. Always a pleasure, Glenn. You get out and have a good weekend. All right. It's going to be Robert, Beverly, Tim, and Virginia. Let's head up Austin Way. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. 
Um, I have a question which I'm relaying from she who thinks she is too shy to go on the radio. <laughs> Silly girl. <laughs> uh, it has to do with Lyme abelia. Okay. And she would she would like to know if she can cut off the lower branches which are trailing on the ground to make it grow up higher and perhaps quicker. She can cut off the lower branches, but it will not make it grow higher or quicker. And any time you take um, you know, green leaf surface off of a plant, you're reducing its ability to make sugars, uh, which happens, of course, when sunlight hits the leaves. So uh, most abelias are spreading plants by nature. And, you know, some folks who are terrified of snakes, we won't mention anyone by name because that wouldn't be polite, but there are other reasons to take those lower limbs up off the ground a little bit, but uh, it's not going to really make it grow taller, and it's certainly not going to speed up the growth. Okay, and she is pretty good at taking cuttings from plants and creating new ones. Uh, Is this a good candidate? It is at the right time of year, which is not now, because that new tender growth does not root well at all. But uh, fall months of the year, October, November, even into December, those are ideal months for taking cuttings from uh, woody plants. But uh, um, if she wanted to try starting some new plants at this time of year, she could do what the nurserymen did 80, 100 years ago, probably what my grandfather did in the 1930s when he shipped uh, plants for the Sears and Roebuck catalog. But they did what was called layering. Uh, we talk about air layering these days, but the old process was called layering, where you take uh, some sort of, um, you can use a pen or you can just use dirt, but actually physically push that limb down and hold it against the ground and put a shovel full of dirt over on top of it. And many plants, including abelia, given a few months, will put down roots at that point. And uh, six months from now, you can probably go snip that limb, dig it up with those new roots attached and have a new plant. So layering is a possibility at this time of year, but taking cuttings, probably not going to be successful. Okay, well, I've got it on the speaker, so she heard all that. (laughs) Well, give her a physical hug for me as well as just a uh, good morning from me uh, verbally. I certainly will, and and, uh, um, uh, I will let her know that, and I'm sure she's uh, anxious to try all that. (laughs) Uh, Just a quick aside that's a little off topic, and I will not be surprised or disappointed if you don't follow through on this but i had such a laugh uh yesterday morning when you were talking to the dirt doctor and you were talking about your new lab on, mm-hmm. i think it monday mornings right uh, the drill of going somewhere and i missed maya knows that monday morning is bank morning and she does not understand when a holiday comes around and we don't get to go to the bank on monday it is the funniest thing i it, like you guys well, i, I just love my animals story. i mean i'm sure you're list, there's lots of dog lovers in your listeners and it was really <laughs> joy <laughs> Well, All right, well look, the old, the only go, negative is the amount of drool that winds up on my arms. Thank goodness uh, my wonderful teller there, Jefferson Claudia, 
uh, Jefferson Bank, but Claudia is uh, the drive-in lady. <laughs> I used to go in the bank. Now I go through the drive-in lane because Claudia always has a large treat waiting for her. And uh, thank goodness she's learned to give me the treat before she starts working the deposit or I will be totally drowned in drool. I mean, Pavlov would have loved this dog. <laughs> well, the, cho- the choice part of that was that the dog knew it was no. Oh no, yeah, it was Monday, yeah. You know, and and when I take her out to walk early morning at the nursery, she doesn't want to go back inside. She goes and stands at the back of the car, like I, I know where we're going soon. Why don't you let me get in now so you don't forget to take me when it's time to go to the bank? So I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I enjoy it every week. Great to talk to you, Paul. Thank you, Robert. You guys too. And uh, Beverly's up next. Good morning, Beverly. Yes, good morning. Well, first of all, I was looking at the pecan trees, and they're blooming. So that might be a sign that uh, maybe the freeze is over because I made me, that, it like they're the last ones. Uh, they're the ones that I generally trust. I made that same observation yesterday evening, and I'm very, very hopeful they're right this year. So I may wait another week before I plant my tomato plants, but um, I'm, I'm with you. If the pecans are coming out, we're probably through with freezing weather, although obviously not through with cool weather we had 38 in the hill country this morning so it's not it's not toasty warm i'm still wearing long sleeves and long pants but uh i hope like you that we're beyond the freezing danger yeah but you know what really i kind of like the cooler weather better than that that 100 degrees weather (laughs) (laughs) i like it right in the middle myself yeah okay well really what i'm calling is my niece lives across the street and she's not organic at all um in fact she put scott fertilizer on her her yard and she got it on her cement and there's brown spots all over Mm -hmm. is there anything to get those those brown spots out i guess it's from the iron Uh, it's from the iron she could uh, go to a swimming pool uh company and get some muriatic acid I don't know why they call it differently. It's just uh, dilute hydrochloric acid. She will need to wear gloves, and I would recommend eye protection when she puts it out to scrub it. And it's not going to do a perfect job, but uh, and it will burn the plants right at the edge of the concrete just a little bit. But uh, that's the only thing I know of that does much of uh, anything at all to try to take that iron stain out. Okay, it won't kill the grass, though, if she does that, right? It might kill it an inch wide along the driveway, but it'll grow right back. I wonder if pressure washing, if that would No, ma'am. No, it's not. You've stained the concrete, or she has stained the concrete. Uh, It's not something that's on the surface. It could be washed off or peeled off. Okay, and then in her backyard, uh, she didn't do the nematodes, and so she had a big round black a brown spot mm-hmm. and i put corn milk because i had some corn milk on sure. that and but it didn't work and the grass is dead back there so it must have been since bugs right no not Maybe? necessarily uh the cornmeal controls brown patch fungus but it does absolutely nothing about grub worms and this sounds more like grub worms and probably by the time the damage showed up uh, they, you know, that's the thing about grub worms. They cut the, the grass roots, but then it can be weeks or months before the grass starts dying. And so by the time you see the problem, it's, um, you know, the, the damage is already done. Uh, that's why I always encourage people watch for the June bugs around your porch light. The June bugs are the things that lay the eggs that make the grub worms that kill those, uh, spots of grass. So 
Had it been brown patch, your cornmeal would have done very well, but cornmeal does absolutely nothing against grub worms. Um, what she can do, what you can do, is move to a part of your yard where you have nice thick grass and dig up a handful of little 3-by-3-inch squares, transplant them into that area, and as a grass kicks into its spring growth pattern it will cover over that dead area very very quickly you don't even have to rake out the old grass you can if you want to but i'd just be putting some plugs of uh, new grass and i wouldn't be buying grass i'd just be taking some little pieces from where you already have thick grass but a you know a layer of compost over the areas that you dig them out and you'll never even know you've taken a little bit away it just it takes some energy it doesn't take any money Okay, and then I also was telling them to use compost, and then I said manure-based, but then they said they didn't want anything that smelled. So does that smell? <laughs> well, it you know, does a barnyard smell? I personally don't yeah. object to the aroma of cow manure. Horse manure stinks. So, uh, But well-composted material uh, doesn't have any appreciable odor at all. Now, some people have more sensitive noses than others, but um, there are some uh, vegetable-based compost, but I don't think they necessarily smell any better than the uh, uh, than the manure-based. Uh, I think you probably would want just to be sure that you're getting a well, what we call finished compost. It's already gone through the initial stages of decomposition and has very little odor. Uh, if odor is a concern at all, just get some Medina Plus or some molasses, spray around after you've put down the compost, and uh, this activates the microbes to the point that you're you're going to eliminate any odors that might be out there. And, you know, she, she kind of has low and high spots in her yard. It probably needs some dirt. Would you recommend putting dirt on top of her, her yard to kind of fill it in to be all level? Only if she wants a lot of weeds, because any decent dirt, my old mentor, Alton Grimm, used to tell me, man, if you get dirt without weeds, there's something wrong with the dirt. Uh, I would top dress with that compost, or if you need a little bit more physical structure to it, uh, many good places, Stone and Soil Depot and some places like that, make what they call a top dressing that is a mixture of good compost with a little bit of sand, especially petite red sand, mixed in with it. And that is a far better thing to use for leveling than going out and getting just dirt. Okay, so top dressing plus the the uh, compost. Uh, top dressing will have all the compost in it that you need. Uh, if oh, it were okay. me, if she hasn't fertilized, I would put down a good organic fertilizer first, and then well, go yeah, on. She put that Scott fertilizer. <laughs> well, the 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 you know it's it it all goes away. That kind of fertilizer is used up very very quickly. Uh, if it's been more than 30 days, that's why they tell you to feed with it eight times a year or something like that. If it's been okay. a month or longer since she put that down, it'd be real good to follow up with a good organic fertilizer. It's going to last for three or four months before she has to feed again. But I would want to put the organic fertilizer down and then put the compost on top of it. Well, that sounds good. Okay, and then let's see my fruit trees. I'm starting to see some blooms come on my peach trees and then my lemon tree back there. Very and good. So, okay, and so in uh, about how often do I fertilize it? If you're using a liquid fertilizer, do it every three or four weeks. If you're using a dry granular fertilizer, every two or three months. Okay, and then let's see. 
should when I water it, usually I just take the water hose and water it and, and you know, go to each one. Should I water it a long period of time? Is yes. it better to do that? Yes. There's no such thing as uh, too much water, but there's too often. When you water, you should water very, very thoroughly, but then don't water again until that soil's dry an inch or so deep. I doubt that fruit trees really need to be watered thoroughly more than about once a month at this time of year. But uh, when you water it, you should do it very, very deeply. Oh, okay. I think that that's my problem. Usually, every time I go out in the backyard, I take and, and I turn the water hose on and just water it a little bit. <laughs> that might be good for you, but it just wets the surface of the soil. The bad thing about that is it makes plants want to put all their roots right up at the surface where they're more susceptible to heat damage and bugs and everything else. So it is far better to water much longer, but to water much less often. So switch to that and everything's going to do better for you, Beverly. Okay, and I really thank you for all, all your information. Well, and you keep working on that, daughter. It's uh, it's kind of like Winston Churchill said. He said, if you're not liberal when you're young, you have no heart. If you do not become conservative as you grow older, you have no brains. There are a lot of people <laughs> out there that when they're younger, they just don't realize the damage and the dangers of all of these uh commercial synthetic products but as people get a little older they sometimes find that mom knew what she was talking about after all so i hope you're successful with your conversion there (laughs) yeah i'm working on it (laughs) you keep it up and we'll talk again beverly thanks for the call all right one open line grab it if you like i'm going to talk to tim of virginia and emilio and tim's up first good morning sir uh, Bob, this is for the guy with the 40-some tomato plants that are kind of getting kind of laggy on Yeah. It. Um, I've got 51 plants going into the end of next week, and because of the windstorm potential out here, here is the procedure for him. You take a two-foot piece of bamboo in the back of the planting hole, you push it into the ground, and you lash the plant to that piece of bamboo with a type of tape called F4 tape. It's a rubber. All the Air Force guys know this. It's a rubberized tape that sticks to itself. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very cheap. Um, I last year, you remember the windstorms? I lost oh, yeah. half my plants yeah. uh, because of the windstorms. And, and I know I'm sure he's using cages, but I have to do this and a cage yeah. out here. That's to, what I was just going to say. Staking alone is not enough <laughs> if you're really going to oh, no. get your production. But uh, it's a good idea. And uh, I'm, I was not familiar with that tape. That's good to know about. There's also a, a Velcro tape out now that is. Uh, very effective uh, for staking things up. So much better than the old twist ties and things like that. Oh, sure, and the, and the old wire, the wire ties—they're just too sharp. Yep. I mean, they're, you're going to you're going to cause damage rather than prevent damage. Right. The other thing I'm really high on this time is uh, back to nature brand mm-hmm. bagged composted cow manure. Yeah. Almost zero odor. Yeah. And, and just great texture, easy to work with easy to spread or throw or however you want to apply it yeah back to nature's been around a long time i still prefer for most uses the blended compost products but where you're trying to you know really work on a budget or so yeah they make they make good things they make good compost they make good mulches as well i did a mix between the the the, uh the composted cow manure and some of some bags of uh dr gobbler that i got at a local nursery out Mm -hmm. here and i did the classic uh Bob Webster uh, tomato prep, you know, mm-hmm. with the uh, like the old the old style life preserver. It's what it looks like when you're looking <laughs> down at it, right? You know, 
learned that from you years ago. I'm looking right now at, at, a, at a one bed with 18 positions for uh, tomato plants. So. <laughs> well, as one of my callers said, the, the pecan trees are out, so hopefully it's going to be safe for us to do it. Uh, in addition to what you're describing, I also put at least maybe the lowest 10 or 12 inches on that cage. I'll wrap a little chunk of insulate around just to break the wind putting out young transplants, but uh, sounds like you're doing it right. Uh, keep up the good work, Tim, and I appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Okay, Virginia's next uh, down in Victoria. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I was. Can you hear me? Just fine. Okay, Uh, I'm trying to keep my blueberries blooming. Is there a way to keep it blooming with fertilizer or anything, or is they when they're through, they're through? They are not ever blooming. How long they bloom is largely dependent on the variety, and you'll have a lot better luck growing them in Victoria than we do in the Hill Country. So I'm not going to claim to be an expert on blueberries, but uh, they they will bloom over a longer period of time than many of our fruits will. And just a good general fertilizer, if you're using a liquid, you can use, uh, Espoma's got a good one, has to grow from Medina is a good liquid fertilizer. Uh, the new fish fertilizer that James was talking about is a good fertilizer, but feeding them will very definitely encourage them to bloom. But realize that uh, the plant is blooming to make fruit and where you're allowing it to make those blueberries for you to pick that's going to naturally slow down the formation of new buds because the plant's putting a lot of energy into developing the fruit that it has already set but uh, your best chance to maintain the uh, blooming and fruit production is just good nutrition okay uh that's good. Um, I'm looking for a plant called horse sugar. I don't know if you know anything about that. Mm, horse sugar? I don't know that I've ever yeah, heard of it. S-Y-M-P-L-O-C-O-S. Simplocus. I'm afraid I don't know that one. What? What's its claim to fame? It's supposed to grow here in Texas, but I don't know, but it's it's supposed to pull all kind of bad stuff out of the soil, but hmm. I mean it's kind of a fragile plant, so I don't even know what's the purpose of that. <laughs> anyway, well, sometimes you just have to look at results rather than uh, than trying to figure out exactly why. But no, that's uh, that's a new one to me. If I get a chance, I'll take a look and see if I can learn anything about it. But uh, horse sugar's a, a, a new one to my group of uh, plant knowledge. Okay, and the last one, uh, I want to get a sumac tree. What grows good in nine in zone 9B, or is there one? Now, what kind of tree? Sumac. S-U-M-A-C. Oh, sumac. Yeah, sumac. Um, the, you know, here in the hill country, we grow one called evergreen sumac that makes a green shrub. The more colorful one is simply called flame sumac. I suspect yeah. it would grow uh, around Victoria, but I'd I'd sure call Laurie or somebody over at Earthworks uh, to see about it. It's it's a little difficult to transplant, but once you get it established, it spreads by suckers that come out at the base, and it just makes a big clump. And man, there's nothing prettier about November every year. That's one of those things that has beautiful fall color 
every year. But uh, your soils are a little different, but uh, the, the sumac you want to ask for is flame sumac. But find out uh, how well it does for you before you invest in a number of plants. It's always great to plant one of something to try it out. But uh, if you're not seeing a lot of it already around, it, it may not like your soil type. But ask about flame sumac. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for the information. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Virginia. All right. Let's get right back to these phone lines. Emilio, Richard, Kathy, and whoever grabs that open line. Good morning, Emilio. Good morning, sir. It, I have a question. I have a... A little Jim Magnolia. Yes. It's still in the, the the original container, black container. Okay. It's about three and a half to four feet tall. Okay. We have a, the only space we're considering right now would be uh, we have a, a sidewalk on the side of the house. It's about six inches, a slab, six, in, six foot wide. Mm-hmm. And then there's like maybe a, a two foot of uh you know weeds and dirt whatever yeah, you want to call plant- it and then the <laughs> planting area is what we'll fence. think of it as okay and then there's a changing fence you know dividing the, my neighbor and, and our side okay would it be would that magnolia interfere with that slab that four inch slab if we mm. planted in that two foot mm. section maybe 25 years from now <laughs> but uh-huh. i think that sounds like a good place to plant it uh you are less likely to have problems since your since uh, the slab was there before you planted the tree i mean if you if you have a tree that's already got roots spread all over the area and you pour slab on top of it yeah you're likely to have problems but there's nothing under the concrete that uh that your little jim magnolia's uh roots want so 95 99 percent of those roots are going to go somewhere somewhere other than under your concrete so very little chance you're going to have any problem with it now here's what you here's one of the concerns and that mm-hmm. is that all magnolias including little gems they want to allow the limbs the lower limbs to stay in the tree they want those limbs down creating shade on the ground so you're going to have to do some pruning to you know, keep it from encroaching if you, you know, walk or drive on that concrete area very much. You're periodically going to have to shorten those limbs up, but don't cut them all the way back. Little Jim is a slower growing magnolia, and of course it has smaller leaves, but still those same beautiful white flowers. But ultimately, it makes a pretty big tree. If you want to see mature trees, uh, go have lunch or dinner sometime at any of the papados. I think that's one of their favorite plants they use in the landscaping around there is little Jim Magnolia. And you can get an idea oh, okay. of what it's going to look like as it grows. And then you make the decision if that's going to be a good place for it in your landscape. But it's uh, it, it's probably the best magnolia variety for our area. Uh, it will want, like I say, it will want that ground shaded. If you have to do much pruning, replace the shade that the tree created by putting a heavy layer of mulch over it. Um, you're going to feed regularly. But if you got relatively deep soil, you can grow a beautiful little gem magnolia, no question about it. Okay, because our, our side is raised up maybe like six inches uh-huh. uh, compared to our neighbors. Sure. But the, I, I would think that the... Roots would want to spread out towards my neighbor's side. They would go below the right, and you know, <laughs> below the deeper to get to their side. Exactly, and that's that's not going to be a problem at all. Okay, all righty, sir. Well, thank you. You have a good weekend. You do the same, Emilio. Nice to talk to you. All right, appreciate thank, it. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, Richard's up next. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Bob. A couple of questions for you. Yeah. 
I failed to annotate when I planted my carrots, so how do I know when they're ready to be harvested? Um, you have thinned them out so that, uh, you know, that they do have a little room for the individual carrots to grow. Uh, actually, they're planted in earth boxes, and what okay. I bought was the uh, encapsulated seeds. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, I, I hate to tell you, but the only real way to tell is to pull one up and see. Now, you can kind of probe down with thumb and forefingers, and you can kind of probe down on either side, and you can get a, a feel, literally, for how large that carrot is. But carrots don't ripen. Carrots just get bigger and bigger, and eventually that carrot would uh, put on a bloom spike and go to seed. But you're not likely to see that. But I just kind of probe down with my finger and remember that uh, smaller carrots are sometimes much tastier than the big carrots. So it's not like a tomato plant that you want to get up to a certain size before you pick it. You harvest it whenever you would like. And little fingerling carrots are, like I say, even more tender and tasty than your bigger carrot. Do you remember what variety you planted? Yeah, probably it's going to be Nantes or something like that, and uh, those are fully mature when they're like mm, six, seven inches long. But like I say, they don't have to be that big. How long ago did you plant them? Uh, I want to say about two months ago. Okay, they're probably not up to maximum size. You could probably leave them in the ground for another 30 days, but uh, do a little probing around, and like I say, if you want a smaller tastier carrot it doesn't have to be a big plant to give you a lot of flavor and a lot of nutrition okay since i do use earth boxes can you recommend determinate tomatoes for those containers you know my favorite probably would be a semi-determinant tomato called celebrity um the old-fashioned uh, patio tomato is uh you know probably the most famous of the determinant tomatoes um, I also like one that is not really fully determinate, but one called, uh, Porter, P-O-R-T-E-R. It makes a compact plant and just an immense number of kind of golf ball sized tomatoes. Uh, you get beyond that, you can pretty much pick from the rodeo tomatoes, Bobcat and several of the others, but I just don't think the flavor is as good on those, uh, for a small tomato, um, you know, a semi-determinant like to, like a celebrity is probably going to be my first choice. Okay. And uh, last question. How often do you recommend changing the soil out in those earth boxes? Every hundred years or so. Soil gets, soil gets better. If you're using a good soil, not one that's peat-based, but one that's compost-based, you're not going to wear it out. The way people wear soils out is they use the uh, more toxic synthetic fertilizers and things that uh, tend to break down the organic material and deteriorate, degrade the quality of the soil. If you're doing it organically, your soil's going to last year after year after year. And while you may sometimes have to add a little bit more to the surface, if you have to replace the soil, you're doing something wrong. That soil ought to be, ought to be good for a lifetime. No, I buy, I buy organic uh, potting soil. Yeah. homemade compost and has to grow yeah well your earth boxes are going to wear out before your soil does thank you much bob hey good questions thanks for the call (laughs) goodbye all right up to bernie good morning kathy good morning how are you i'm good thank you uh how's everything in your world uh better better now that it's not as windy and not as cold yeah that leads me to my question uh 
we have had um, really good success with uh, some of our plants that we put in last year. We uh, uh, put in a whole new uh, yard and plants and everything. Mm-hmm. However, this very last freeze we got up here took its toll on some of the things that stay green all the time, like my African daisy, uh-huh. uh, blue ball winter did great, uh, but the uh, the boxwood got missed, yeah. the uh, butterfly iris. Yeah. Is there anything I can do to kind of help them out? Uh, just you don't you them. don't need to help them out if you want to make them look better. You can give them a little light trim, you know, with uh, shears, very sharp shears. But the reason that we saw some damage from that 22 degrees the other day is just the plants have put on a lot of new tender foliage, and they're going to grow right out of it. This happens probably one year out of four or five on my boxwood and things, and it's just a very temporary setback. Uh, If you want to make them look nicer, just go in and shear off that last two inches of growth. But if you do nothing at all, your plants are going to come out fine. If you haven't fertilized, I definitely fertilize. None of these rains have really soaked the soil, so I'd be doing a good deep watering. Uh, But stop worrying. Your plants are going to be fine, Kathy. Okay, and then uh, we've got some white uh, flies that have come up on our upright rosemary, mm-hmm. uh, and we've uh, hit it with neem oil. No, uh, that's not the thing to use. You want to use uh, an insecticidal soap, and better still, you want to use something called spinosad soap because it's the only thing that gets all three life stages.